One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. I'm your host Hugh McTeer and I'm here to present to you a very special podcast as we tell the story of and as we analyse Sevilla's sixth Europa League title. They won two back when it was still the UEFA Cup in 2006 and 2007 and then three in a row after the reformatting in 2014, 15 and 16. And now, in this weird and sometimes devastating 2020, Sevilla have brought some joy to their fans once again by winning in Western Germany, where the final stages of the tournament were played out. We've got various guests coming up in this podcast, and sound bites from some of those closest to the club. We'll even hear from Archie Rintut, who was there in the stadium for the final. But first, let's bring in La Liga Lowdown's resident Sevilla correspondent, Gregor Chappell, the man who sits in the press box at all the games at the Sanchez Peace Juan for us. Gregor, can you set the scene by explaining just how much changed at Sevilla last summer? in terms of the boardroom, the dugout and the squad. Well, there was a massive overhaul throughout the whole club in the summer and the playing staff is almost unrecognisable from last season. But for me, the biggest and most important signing that Sevilla made was without a doubt when they brought back Monchi um, as sporting director from Roma. He signed 17 players in the summer and we saw 23 leave. And by the way, nine of those signings started in the Europa League final. He also brought in this new management team, which has also worked so well. I mean, obviously, when you have such big changes at the start of a season, there can be some uncertainty as to how things are going to work out. But I'd say in hindsight, with the season now over, I'd say that it's worked out pretty well. So yeah, Julian Lopetegui came in as a new coach. How did the start of the Lopetegui era go? Well, like I said, I think a lot of people were a little bit apprehensive with all the changes that had been made in the summer. But, you know, they started off by winning two of their first three games, dropped points in a disappointing draw against Serda Vigo at home. And then things did get a little, did get a little bit wobbly. Um, they lost two in the bounce, albeit one was at the Bernabeu. But I distinctly remember the loss to Ibar, 3-2 away, upset a few fans. It wasn't the best performance in the world. And Sevilla fans, I must say this, they're notoriously impatient and Obviously, and they probably wanted instant success, with, but with such a huge turnover in the summer, they couldn't realistically expect that immediately. And I think how they started was actually relatively good, considering all the changes that were made. When it came to the Europa League, how seriously did Sevilla take it from the start? Did they play strong teams in the group stages? 
Well, we know the Europa League is a competition that Sevilla love um, and they've won it so many times, but their main goal this term was to get to those Champions League spots. So in the group stages, they did rest a few players, especially in defence. Jesus Navas and Reguilón were rested for the entire group stage. Diego Carlos only featured once and they did tamper a little bit in the midfield and forward areas. It seemed to me that they were trying to save their energy and prioritise the league more than anything because, like I said, they had their eyes on those on that top four finish in the Champions League for next season. They then had their last 32 tie against Kluge and they ran it close, didn't they? Kluge actually had a winner in the back of the net that was ruled out for handball. How close did Sevilla really come to going out at that stage? I mean, they couldn't have run it much closer, could they? Like After that 1-1 draw away, Obviously got the away goal, they absolutely battered Cluj in that second half in an attempt to try and like consolidate the tie, make it a bit more comfortable, but they just couldn't get a breakthrough, they couldn't find a way through. And we've been talking about VAR all season and the controversies of it and like how people don't really like it, but to be honest it came to Sevilla's rescue that night. Um, Cluj got that late goal and it was ruled out and it's crazy to think that if it weren't for VAR this season, that that goal would have stood, or probably would have stood, and we wouldn't be sitting here talking about Sevilla's six Europa League win. So yes, it's very, very fine margins. It just shows you how small margins can be when you're wanting to win competitions like this, and they ran it very close that night. Then came the coronavirus pause. Afterwards, Sevilla finished the La Liga season strong and qualified for the Champions League. What was the mood like among Sevilla fans during that period between the end of the La Liga season and the restart of the Europa League? Oh, the mood was high. I mean, fans were delighted after having achieved that goal of Champions League football for next season, getting in the top four. They were especially happy with the way they'd played since the break, um, going unbeaten after the restart. And in terms of the Europa League, they knew that there were still a few good sides in the competition. But Sevilla always fancied their chances in the Europa League. We know that they've won it six times now. <laughs> and they think of it as their own trophy. And, you know, they showed that Lopetegui has built a proper, proper team that all buy into his style, and, his style of play and his philosophy and that have a great team spirit. And we saw that in Europe this year. They always just found a way to get there and get the win, just like they did in the knockout games after the break and in the final. Thanks, Gregor. We're going to talk about those knockout games now and about the tournament that took place in Western Germany following the coronavirus pause. A makeshift solution to a virus that affected the Sevilla squad directly as midfielder Nemanja Gudelj tested positive for it. He recovered fortunately and Sevilla were off to Germany in search of their sixth Europa League trophy. To tell us exactly how Sevilla got to the final, here's Matt Clark. Take it away, Matt. Sevilla arrived in Germany in great shape, with Julian Lopetegui summoning everyone for the trip. With all these options, he had a few interesting selection questions ahead of this mini-tournament. First-choice goalkeeper Tomasz Vaslik made the squad after recovering from that knee injury which ruled him out of the final few league games, but Bono had been in tremendous form at the end of the season. Deciding who the man between the posts would be was probably the hardest call Lopetegui would have to make. But being a former goalkeeper himself, Few could really have questioned his judgement ultimately, and Bono kept his place. The other selection talking points were the centre forward position and the wide areas. Would Luke de Jong continue, or would Yusuf Nasiri get the nod? On the flanks, Lucas Acampos was the first name on the team sheet after his scintillating form since the restart, but Munir had a case to be included too. With five goals, he was Sevilla's top scorer in the Europa League campaign going into this. 
In the end, Lopetegui opted for the more mobile and associative N Naziri with Suso ahead of Munir. It seemed clear that Sevilla were hoping to dominate possession of the ball. Roma were the first obstacle in a game dubbed the Monchi Derby. The sporting director's unparalleled success at Sevilla was not matched by his time in the Italian capital, but he has since worked wonders yet again with his beloved Sevilla. Of the starting 11 to face Roma, only Jesus Navas and Eva Banega were at the club last season. Seven of them joined in the summer and two more arrived in January, Suso and Nisiri. Sevilla were awesome in this game, winning comprehensively. Roma barely laid a glove on them. They enjoyed superb control of midfield and goals from Sergio Reguilon and then Nisiri himself saw them safely through. Reguilon's goal in particular was very easy on the eye. After receiving the ball in midfield from Banega, he stepped inside and stormed into the penalty area before firing his shot beyond ex-Betis keeper Pau Lopez. In el control para la diagonal se puede meter hasta la cocina. Barreguilón! Roma coach Paolo Fonseca accepted that Sevilla deserved the win, with Edin Dzeko adding that Sevilla devoured them. So a convincing 2-0 win, a sixth clean sheet in seven matches and into the quarterfinals. The omens were really good. Every time Sevilla had reached the quarters of this competition, they had won the trophy. They also extended their unbeaten run to 18 matches and equaled their club record, going back to 1935. Up next was Wolves, and it was hard to judge this tie before the game. Much had been made of the unity of the Wolves' side under Nuno, who had made a success of using his small squad of players and really fostering a togetherness. It was an awful start for Sevilla in this game, as Diego Carlos was unable to match the pace of Adama Traore, let's face it, can anyone, and conceded a penalty. Raul Jimenez had enjoyed an excellent season and had previously scored every single penalty at club level, but on this occasion, Bono came to the rescue and saved it. Some suggested that he may have come off his line too far and there was also a question of an encroaching defender who cleared the loose ball. But there was no VAR intervention and Sevilla survived. From there, they grew into the game and controlled the tempo through the classy skills and awareness of Eva Banega. Wolves didn't have another shot on target following that 13th minute penalty. The game had a cagey feel, but Sevilla finally broke through in the 88th minute with star man Ocampos heading in a perfectly weighted cross from Banega. The stats after the game proved that Sevilla's victory was more than justified, with 75% possession and 18 shots to just 6 from Wolves. It was another clean sheet and a new club record, achieved with confidence and belief growing. Manchester United in the semi-finals the Red Devils represented the highest level of opposition Sevilla had faced thus far, and they came into the game in a similar vein of form, having only lost once since the restart, which was the semi-final of the FA Cup. But just two years ago, Sevilla famously knocked out Jose Mourinho's side from the Champions League with a victory at Old Trafford. Once again, Sevilla made life hard for themselves with Diego Carlos conceding another penalty in the early stages of the game as United came flying out of the traps. Bruno Fernandes converted after just nine minutes. Sevilla responded well though and started to move through the gears before equalising with a nicely worked goal from ex-Liverpool man Suso. Reguilon received the ball after playing a 1-2 with Ocampos before sending in a low cross which evaded all of United's defenders and Suso swept in at the far post. 
At the start of the second half, United came flying at Sevilla again, and it took some immense suffering, as they say in Spanish, to stay in the game. Defenders threw their bodies in the way of shots, blocking and challenging in and around the box. And when United did get through, Bono was imperious, making six saves in the game overall, and crucially three huge saves in the first 10 minutes of the second half. At this stage, Sevilla were looking tired after an intense period since the restart. But Lopetegui showed his tactical acumen by changing things before the hour mark, bringing on Munir and De Jong to freshen things up and give Sevilla a chance to get a foothold back in the game. This proved to be a significant moment, as De Jong scored the eventual winning goal in the 78th minute. He found space in the box to convert a Navas cross as United completely switched off. After being maligned by many and going 11 appearances without a goal, he was the hero who sent them into the final. Perhaps we should have expected it. His few goals this season have been saved for the big occasions. He scored the winner off the bench against Levante, the winner in El Gran Derby away from home, making him a cult hero already, and then goals at both Santiago Bernabeu and the Wanda Metropolitano. Sevilla managed the remainder of the game pretty well and were ecstatic at the final whistle and celebrated wildly in the changing rooms post-game. They sure did and they had even more to celebrate in the final. They came up against the history and the talent of Inter Milan but they did what they always do in the Europa League final. They won. Lukaku is going to take on Diego Carlos has already given away two penalties in this competition in the last two rounds. And yep. that might be another one. And his 34th goal for Inter this season, his debut season up there now with the great Ronaldo. Great penalty, little stutter. Hordan lays it back, Navas plays it in, and there's the equalising goal. And the decision to play Luke de Jong has paid off. Here it is again. Towards that back post and a brilliant header in again from De Jong. He's got them both. And that was a soaring effort to put Sevilla 2-1 up here. They've come from behind again. Brozovic takes it towards the back post and there's an equaliser. It's Godin arriving on the back post with a header. Trick, of course. It is towards that back post. And he's turned into the back of the net as well. Sevilla are ahead again. Diego Carlos, who was the villain at one end, is the hero at the other one. Spectacular bicycle kick, it deflected and in. And Sevilla, the specialists of the Europa League, lead again here. Two goals from Luke de Jong and a Diego Carlos overhead kick that was turned in by Lukaku earned Sevilla the 3-2 victory. And we're going to discuss it now with one of the few journalists who was there inside the stadium in Cologne. That's Archie Rintut. Archie, thanks for joining us. The first thing I want to ask you about is just the emotion we saw pouring out of the Sevilla players at the full-time whistle. We could see some of the tears and hugs on TV, but you saw it all. What was it like being there? Oh, it was nuts. And to be honest, I have a difficult time comparing whether there was more emotion after the semi-final or after the final, because both times they went crazy. If you if you saw the, the celebrations after the semi-final, you could have thought, OK, they'd won it. But I mean, look, this time there was those few extra percentage points, what with all the players running over to Jesus Navas. And it actually took me a while to realise who it was. I had to kind of work out by elimination who was at the bottom of that dog pile. Mm. But yeah, just seeing the way that uh, Monchi was close to tears, um, I, I just 
watching him through the game and seeing how much it emotionally drained him and indeed all of the players. I, I remember seeing Lucas Ocampos furiously hitting the chair in front of him um, a couple of times as, as the game en- entered injury time and uh, th- throughout the game, um, you know, there was still chance from the severe players and, and the severe um, fans who came over. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what they were, but they were singing all the time in, in the gods of the stadium, um, Vamos Campeón. And only, only in the last three minutes of, of extra time or so did I see some of the players be like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Please don't jinx us now. Um, so, yeah, mm. uh, incredible emotion, but it was difficult not to get swept up in it just on, on, on a, just just being a football fan and just seeing it and just seeing what it meant to them and and yeah I've I've not seen too much of Sevilla live and I was very impressed not not just by what I saw on the pitch but also off the pitch and the way that the club pulled together as one. What was the feeling and the atmosphere like when they conceded that very early goal, the Lukaku penalty on five minutes? Because we saw last season's Champions League final, for example, where Tottenham conceded a very early penalty and then just struggled to get back into the game. Did you get a sense of the severe players thinking, never mind, it's just a setback, we've still got this? I remember looking over to the severe bench and seeing, it's like, okay, how are you going to respond? And immediately, the players who were in the stands, I, I saw them clapping and being like, come on, it's happened, but we move on. And I thought that, I thought the way they responded was, I, I didn't expect it because I thought that Inter looked physically stronger and yet just the way that Sevilla continued in that game showed that actually they, they, they had a, a fitness and an energy to them that Inter couldn't match. And I didn't, I, I thought it would be the other way around. But the way that this team moves as one, like some some sort of organism, it's I, I've I've not seen that too much in Germany. I have to say, from from the Bundesliga teams I've watched, like it's so impressive because uh, I think when you talk about teams as being organised, you usually think, ah, okay, so so it means that they they generally sit quite defensively. But it's organised in both an attacking and defensive way. Just the way that the team is able to move so so fluidly up the pitch and. I think, you know, there are calculated risks that Julian Lopetegui takes, but when you've got a goalkeeper like Yassin Bounou in the form that he's in, uh, you can afford to take those risks right now. So, yeah, um, very, very impressed by the reaction. And uh, yeah, I definitely saw, you could definitely see the belief was there and, and, and you felt it the longer the game wore on. So given all you've said there, where Sevilla deserved winners in this game? They took their chances. Yes. And, and that's the thing is that actually, if you look back over the game against all three games against uh, Wolves, Manchester United and Inter, you would say that there were clearer chances created by the opposition in all three games. And yet Sevilla somehow, somehow go through. But, you know, you can't underestimate the kind of run they're on. I think that's now 21 games unbeaten in all competitions. That says something about the character of this side. And if you're going to be presented with one-on-ones and not take them, or if you're going to make saves as a goalkeeper where you are the underdog uh, in the situation, as I think Banu was on quite a few occasions uh, against Manchester United, less so against Inter, but that, that save still on the, in the situation against Lukaku you'd still probably back the striker from where he is 
then absolutely deserved winners. My last question for you is about Luke de Jong. You spoke to him this weekend and he was the hero of the final with his two goals and of the semi-final where he scored the winner. Considering the criticism he's endured all season for not scoring enough, what was his mood when he spoke to you? I bet he had a, a bit of a smile on his face. Uh, yeah, already then he did, to be fair. And that that criticism has been levelled at him uh, in in England and in in Germany as well. When he was at Borussia Mönchengladbach, he didn't have the best of times either. But you somewhat repair that when you score two two goals at Cologne Stadium, even if it's not uh, against against Cologne. Um, he was he, he he wore a smile when talking about that, but. I just got the feeling that he was very relaxed and I I wouldn't have necessarily expected him to be quite so relaxed and quite so happy. But I think it shows the secret to that, to the severe side, which is keeping the entire squad on side and pulling in the same direction. Because given the season that De Jong's had, you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be like, not, not saying that he'd have every reason to kick up a fuss, but. Like with some players, you you do see their head go down and that, but you see that with every single player in that squad, whatever the role they have to play for the team, whether it's sitting on the bench and supporting them vociferously from the sidelines or whether it is coming off the bench and playing their role in the team, they do it. And Luke de Jong, he's, he scored some big goals for Sevilla this season. I was reading some tweets from, from Colin Miller talking about goals he scored away at Atletico, Real Madrid, and then obviously in the Seville derby away at Betis as well. Semi-final and now the final. I think he's he's probably become a, a Sevilla cult hero in, uh, in the space of one season, despite not scoring all that many goals. So, yeah, uh, I, I think... I think fair play to him and, uh, and and fair play to Sevilla for this incredible achievement. Thanks, Archie, for the insight there. We're going to hear more about Luke de Jong and hear some clips from the player himself in part two. So don't go anywhere. We've discussed Sevilla's journey from the group stages to champions here in part one. But we're going to go into some deeper analysis in part two coming up after this short pause. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
and welcome back to this episode of the La Liga Lowdown podcast, this special episode dedicated to Sevilla and their Europa League triumph, their sixth time winning this trophy. We briefly mentioned Luke de Jong at the end of part one, the Dutch striker who scored the winner in the semi-final against Manchester United and then two goals in the final. Those were his only three goals of the entire Europa League campaign, so he certainly saved them for the biggest moment. In total, he only netted 10 goals from 46 appearances this season, which isn't a great return when you're supposed to be the main centre forward for a top four La Liga team, but he has written his name into Sevilla's history books. Nobody will remember his 2019-20 goal tally in a decade's time, but they will remember that brace from Cologne. So you have to feel happy for him. He was certainly thrilled when he spoke in his post-match interview on Friday night, and we're going to hear just now what he himself had to say, including his reaction to the moment he learned he'd be starting. Here's De Jong speaking to BT Sports' Daryl Curry. What a crazy game that must have been to take part in after the start of the match, going ahead, being pegged back again, but two headers from you in a match, and Sevilla have done it again. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really... We, we had such a... Tough games, I think, all tournament, but we played so well as, as, a, as a team. And you can see it during the tournament, we were really a team, like a family. We worked together, and it didn't matter who played, who came in the pitch, everybody was working for each other. And you could see it also this last game. And it was tough. We, we started, yeah, we started good, I think, but then out of nothing, they scored uh, the goal because of the penalty. And, but then, yeah, I could score two headers, so it's an uh, amazing feeling for me. And, uh, and luckily, we, at the end, we could win the game, yeah. What a selection by the manager. When did he tell you you were starting? Yeah. Ah, this this morning he told me and uh, but I told him like I told the other 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 day the other game that I'm always ready when he needs me and then and, and today it worked really well for me yeah that second one was a bit special wasn't it I don't know if you know but Inter hardly concede headers only won the whole season in the league yeah I think it's my specialty so uh, but uh, I think the cross the first cross from uh, Navas was perfect and I anticipated the first post and it went in and then the second one yeah great cross from Manega and uh, I think these these headers are really special when you can put them in in the second post and that it went in perfectly. Yeah. We're now going to discuss one of the Sevilla players who was playing his final match for the club and that's Ever Banega. The Argentine agreed back in January that he'd join Saudi Arabian side Al-Shabaab at the end of the season and there was talk that he would even leave at the end of June when his contract was due to expire but he stayed for the end of the La Liga campaign and also for the Europa League run and I bet he's glad he did and I bet Sevilla are glad he did. He was instrumental in their success and we're going to discuss him now with Argentine football expert Peter Coates of Golazzo Argentino. Peter, first of all, just how good has Benega been during this Europa League run, especially considering he was supposed to be in Saudi Arabia by now? Yes, despite uh, Benega's transfer to Al-Shabaab being confirmed for what seems like an age, he finished his severe career in style. Um, I saw Lopetegui quoted as saying, Sevilla play well when Benega plays well and it couldn't have been more true in Germany for this compact Europa League shootout. Um, Benega reminded the world just how good he can be orchestrating things from midfield just as he did for Sevilla's triumphs in 2015 and 2016 and it was a real joy to watch him uh, as it always has been when he's when he's really in the mood. He's such an effortless, classy player who so efficient in possession and then can provide the killer ball when it matters. It'll be a huge loss to Sevilla, uh, to La Liga and, and to European football. Yeah, it really will. And just how much will you miss seeing Benega playing at the top level? Well, enormously. Anyone who appreciates the game and, and who watched this year's Europa League 
will miss Benega uh, because it's so abundantly clear what he can still offer at the highest level. Um, there are better athletes um, and there are certainly players who have dedicated themselves professionally to the craft better, but still very few that can do what um, Eber Benega does. You can't really begrudge a player at 32 entering the final years of his career, taking the financial riches that comes with a move to Saudi Arabia, but not being able to watch Benega grace the pitch on a regular basis will be a real shame. We got one final moment of Banega hilarity before he left. Can you explain to us just what happened between him and Antonio Conte during the final? Well, if you can't admire his passing, you have to admire Banega's trash talking. Um, very feisty first half, produced a lot of incidents. But when Antonio Conte appealed for a penalty to the fourth official, Banega wandered past the dugout and reportedly said let's see if that hair is real um in reference of course to Conte's well-documented hair transplant a few years ago um this sparks an even angry response from Conte who thankfully didn't back up his threat to deal with it at half time but just made you like uh Benega a little bit more absolutely well thanks for that Peter we've now heard then about a couple of the heroes who were on the pitch we also spoke in part one about how Julian Lopetegui came in and made a difference but of course we must also give credit to the sporting director, Monchi. Surely the best sporting director in the world. We did an entire La Liga Lowdown podcast on Monchi, titled Backup Goalkeeper to the World's Top Sporting Director. You can seek that out if you want to know more about the Monchi story. But here's a clip from that episode from Victor Orta, who worked with Monchi at Sevilla in the past and who is now director of football at Leeds United. Here, Victor Orta explains how Monchi is so good at finding the right players for his club. So that was a little clip of Victor Orta there from our Monchi episode. Like I said, you can go and look that one up if you want to know more about the sporting director. Now, finally, we're going to wrap up this episode by hearing from the admin of the Monchi's Men's Sevilla Supporters Group. That's Chris Lale. Here, he explains just how much this sixth Europa League title means to the fans. Wow, what a final and what a tournament. It's hard to believe that a team from the fourth largest metropolitan area in Spain continue our reign as kings of the Europa League. It's so hard to explain why we love this tournament so much and why it loves us back and has rewarded us with our sixth trophy. This season has been such a weird and strange one. I'm not sure many fans would have picked us to make the run we did. And Sevilla faced a gauntlet of big teams to get through in order to win the title without the help of our passionate supporters to urge the team to victory. I think doubt was a bit in the air this time around, which I think made this trophy lift a bit more special than the prior five. It seems my fellow Monty's men and other Sevillistas feel the same as the question was posed on many forums this weekend. It seems many of the fans think that the run through Roma, Wolves, Manchester United, and Inter Milan was the greatest challenge that the team has faced in a Europa League. The games were all exciting with different elements. We had total domination against Roma in a uh, 2-0 win. We dominated the Wolves, but it could have been a different result if Jimenez had scored from the spot. 
Man, you was such a thrilling and nerve-wracking match with them firing 20 shots at us, but Bono and the defense refused to let them score from anywhere other than the spot. Then the final. You know, Enter on paper were the better team with stars such as Lukaku, Martinez, Godin, Sanchez, and Erickson, and I thought it would be a tough ta- challenge. It ended up being a great game with lots of drama and some great goals. Lopetegui decided to bring... Luke de Jong back into the starting lineup and he delivers with a brace after great service by Navas and Benega. You know, Godin did what he always does and scores when he needed to tie the team, you know, the game up. Uh, and then, bam, out of nowhere, Diego Carlos delivers a crazy bike, you know, and puts Sevilla back on top uh, with a little help from Lukaku. It was a thrilling match, and I was jumping around, and uh, this is the first time I haven't watched in a bar, so um, it was a bit weird watching by myself, but uh, thrilling nonetheless. You know, immediately after the game, a friend of mine from the UK called, and you know, he asked me, you know, why does this team keep winning the trophies? And um, you know, I thought about it, and I continue to think about it, and my first thought was that. It was the magic of the city of Sevilla. You know, the, the city has a special vibe. It's almost mystical about uh, about the city, and, and it draws players close to that heartbeat of the city. And that's why you see all the players who leave continue with well wishes and, and photos and, and everything when we're in a tournament. Um, but then I thought about it some more, and, and I turned to the constant force between all six titles, and it's one man. Uh, Monchi. Uh, I think Monchi has not only delivered outstanding players and coaching hires, but I think he demands that the Sevilla FC culture is followed by all involved in the organization as that culture has become about giving your all when a trophy is on the line. This was a thrilling victory, and I felt so happy for Navis and Benega and, and Escudero and just all the players that's put everything on their line you know on the line here for the last uh, month or so of the season um you could see the joy in the in the players faces and the coaches faces i mean lopotegi was you know bawling after the game i think just relief from such a uh crazy experience of being in real madrid and you know losing the the head coaching job at of the spanish national team and you just see kind of the relief just wash off of him after winning that trophy. And then Novice, I mean, just the legend of Sevilla. And uh, he's he's everything to this team. And, and you saw it in his play and, and how many minutes he played this year. And there's no other player that I'm more proud of. And uh, I hope to see him in a Sevilla shirt as long as he wants to play. Yeah, so emotional for Lopetegui and Navas and everyone involved at Sevilla. Honestly, I think this was a perfect way to bring to an end this weird and difficult season. Sevilla have done it again. They've won a sixth Europa League title and that's an achievement that deserved its own podcast. So I thank everyone who has come on and contributed. Gregor Chappelle, Matt Clark, Archie Rintut, Peter Guates and Chris Lale. They're all well worth a follow on Twitter and their handles can all be found in the description of this podcast. You can follow La Liga Lowdown on Twitter as well to be kept up to date with all the happenings this off-season. As for me, I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and I thank you a lot for joining us and listening in to this podcast on the story of Sevilla's sixth Europa League title. <laughs>